back. How to do. <laughs> I know that this episode is called Day 8, but it's only the 7th episode because we missed a day yesterday. Uh, I'm sorry about that. We uh, need a day off. We need a day Ashley off. Ashley need a day off. I'm not going to lie. Surgery recovery. You were cut open has, yeah, several days ago. It's had its ups and downs for sure. My pain levels are still a little bit unpredictable. So yesterday I thought we would just chill. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that we would maybe keep tallying the days based on what day in quarantine it actually is. Because uh, I thought that would be a more interesting record and more accurate to the experience of the quarantine. So yep. this is episode seven, but it is day eight of our quarantine. Um, if you disagree, feel free to let me know. Okay, so day eight of Smells Like Quarantine Spirit, wherein I, Ashlyn Romagnoli, do and learn things in quarantine, but not every day, though. Some days I just mope and play Doom while listening to Ghost and Black Sabbath at full volume. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, But today, um, we're going to talk about personal grooming. Mm-hmm. Fun, right? One of my favorite topics. Yeah, Adam. Adam, tell Big the fan. people tell the people what we did at 4 in the morning right before my surgery. You know, I woke up, I was about ready to take you to the hospital, and I got in the shower, and I saw the back of my neck, and I was like... Oh my God, I oh my look God. like a werewolf. He's I a am werewolf. about to go out in public for the first time in a few <laughs> days, and I realized the back of my neck just needed a quick trim. Yeah, so, so I whipped out my little, uh, you know, clippers, and I was like, baby, please, please, yeah, just, so like just run a clipper up my neck. Pre coffee, yeah. and I've never done this before. So this was <clears> totally new. So, like at four in the morning, pre coffee, um, I <laughs> shaved the back of his neck and trimmed the hairline. Um, so the reason I thought the story was interesting and not just funny and also slightly ridiculous, um, (laughs) is that if you're like me at all, you probably have like a little bit of anxiety around being properly prepared for a crisis. Mm -hmm. So like if grocery stores, for example, are going to shut down and note that this is not in the cards right now. I have no secret intel that says it's going to happen. I'm not going to have it said that I am a fear monger, but if that were to happen, uh, you want to have like re-upped your supply the day before. No one wants to have been planning to go to the store the day it's taken over by cyborg aliens while they're on their last half pound of white rice. Mm-mm. And no one wants to be a dick bag hoarder either. Nope. So it's a pretty delicate balance. And it's kind of amazing when those little voices kick in. There's something about like waking up early and preparing to take me into the unknown world of surgical treatment and aftermath that prompted the little voice in Adam's head to go, you know what's really fucking annoying? this pelt on the back of our neck and if ash is in a bad state she won't be able to do it for at least a week yep. and if we do it we might fuck it up also it's true. the same voice that makes me ask my dad for nail clippers every time i visit him at his house without <laughs> fail it's weird he's like come to expect it and i think it's because i'm in like a safe known space with uh-huh. a little bit of calm and space uh-huh. and i'm like gearing up for the future And for me, that means not having to worry about long toenails at an inconvenient time. So, also... I'm glad you get me. I'm glad you get me. Yes. I try to understand. (laughs) So, the other thing is, like, as I was writing this episode this morning... And mind you, she didn't miss a beat. Like, she didn't... Why would you want me to cut your back of your neck right before my surgery? Like, it was like, (laughs) didn't miss a beat. Ashlyn was like, sure, yeah, I'll trim your neck. I synthesize things yeah, very quickly. No, no, you're really good. You're good like that. <laughs> um, okay, so as I was writing this episode, Adam was also going to run what will hopefully be the very last of our Aaron Teens. Bef- Aaron Teens. 
Aretines. I like Weird. that word. Okay. It's a cool I was going to scratch that from yeah. the record, but maybe it should live. Yeah. Aretines. Our errands before a full lockdown on our part. Mm-hmm. Uh, for So, errands before a quarantine. Aretines. Um, but it's also happened to be grooming based. So, if you know us in real life or if you've listened closely to our episodes, um, you know that we have two sweet kitties, Casanova and Ziggy Stardust. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe someday we'll do an episode on them because I have all kinds of very weird theories about oh their gosh, personalities yeah. and origin stories yeah, and like all this stuff. Anyway, uh, Z is a sweet little street tabby, um, but Cass, Casanova is a fancy man. Oh, yes. The fanciest. <laughs> Daddy's son in this regard. Like, he's a pop. <laughs> he's a... He's a yeah. total dandy. Um, a dandy. And today was his day. He's an orange Himalayan kitty, uh, which means that he is possessed of some of the finest, super long, super soft fur in existence. Um, but once or twice a year, he gets like a full reset. So what I mean by that is like his fur, it's just impossible to keep up with. Like it gets so matted and so gross that he just needs to be shaved. <laughs> uh, start start from zero reset but we don't just do like a standard shave on him so the very first time i took him to get groomed i was a novice cat owner at the time and he was having um shall we say some hygiene issues mm-hmm. so i figured i'd like take him to the groomer they trim him up you know whatever so he could use the bathroom a little more uh, hygienically oh. um but when i got to this like ramshackle little place in brooklyn the woman at reception was just like you want the full lion and I totally dumbfounded, <laughs> just said yes. So I was like, yes, I have no idea what we're oh, in yeah. for. But um, it turns out that an orange Himalayan cat is the perfect cat to get the lion cut. Mm-hmm. He literally looks like a tiny lion. Like they shave his whole body, um, most of his legs. They leave like tiny little Ugg boots and his tail except for the tip. And then they leave his big mane. So like when I catch him out of the corner of my eye, he looks like he's just like really good CGI. For reals. <laughs> And the best part about it is that he loves it. Super he stoked. He loves it. He kind of leaps around, preens a little bit. Uh, he's a lot more aerodynamic now, so that might contribute to his happiness. But it's really awe-inspiring because he looks sort of ridiculous. And a lot of people laugh when they see him. But he's a cat, so he has zero shame. And he's just kind of like, yeah, look at me and my bad self. Fuck yeah. It's like a lesson for us all. Yeah. So. He's my hero. Today. He's my hero too. He's so cute. Um, <laughs> we'll put a picture up for you all. So, um, in terms of personal grooming things you can take care of during quarantine, so like things to do, um, I think we can all agree on some overall basics that are kind of fun. So, if you haven't already raided your kitchen for stuff for face masks, etc., a uh, quick Google can help you out there. But you know, just a hint: honey, eggs, brown sugar, oatmeal. All very good things, very good for your skin and hair. Mm-hmm. And honestly, a good rule of thumb for me anyway is that the simpler the ingredients you use on your body and hair, the better. If you can't pronounce an ingredient and in a product you use, you may want to dig into it a little bit deeper. Um, you can do home manicures, home pedicures. Uh, just because other people aren't going to see it doesn't mean you can't keep looking fresh for you. Seriously. Just like Cass. Oh, yeah. Looking fresh rock, for yourself. Rock it. All day. All for yourself. Um, so my, but my personal favorite thing that I've dug into since quarantining is hair braiding. <laughs> so I've had mostly short hair for a very, very long time, and it's only just getting to be long enough to actually do stuff with. And actually, at this point in time, I would probably, in normal times, just be like, "Oh yeah, this is why I love short hair," and chop it off. But I can't. 
because we're quarantined. Um, And I've always wanted to learn how to do different kinds of braids. So I started Googling and practicing fishtail braids. And after practicing a little bit, I can confirm my suspicion that once you have the pattern in your head, it's pretty quick. So I look forward to many post-quarantine braid hairstyles. So that's the thing that you can do while quarantined. And it looked great. And look great. It looked great. Okay, so why don't we learn something about personal grooming? I want to learn something. (laughs) Okay, so as you may have gathered, I adore history. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about the history of bathing and hygienic practices throughout history. Um, And weirdly enough, we do have a few interesting (laughs) books that touch on the subject. So kind of as an overall, just to tie it into our uh, extensive amount of time we've already spent talking about our shaved kitty Casanova. Um, He is not alone in his close shave. So we have evidence that shows that even Stone Age dudes shaved over 100,000 years ago. Um, And they would use, like, clamshells as tweezers. What? Before we figured out, like, sharpening rocks and bits of copper. They would just pull them out one by one? Just, like, pull it out. Oh, my God. I know. Oh, thank you. I pluck my eyebrows. I would not want to do that. Face, no. Cheeks, no. Um. Alexander the Great also was super into the clean-shaven look. Um, Renaissance women plucked their hairlines to give them bigger foreheads and oh, also yeah. cleaner eyebrows. Yep. And the one exception to that that I seem to recall is, um, I remember in college I read Troilus and Cressida, mm-hmm. and Cressida is described as being like the most lovely, bodacious woman ever, um, but she also is described as having a unibrow. Hmm. So I kind of feel like we want to do an episode about surprising beauty standards, yeah. but anyway... We're gonna we're gonna take it all back. We're gonna start with the very basics. Yeah, no, she yeah. She had the unibrow. Yes, she did. She was hot. Yes, she <laughs> super was. Sorry, that was really distracting because I was doing the lead <laughs> yeah, into yeah. <laughs> the next section. What were you saying? Oh, okay. Um, but today we're gonna start with the basics. Hygiene. Baths. So I don't even know if I need to talk about Rome. I mean, Roman baths are super famous. Romans loved to bathe. In fact, their bathing process took so long that Roman baths were functionally community centers. Like, people did business, traded political ideas, shared philosophies, made friends, brokered marriages. I like to imagine literally everything happening at the bathhouse, and I pray that someday that will return. I love saunas and baths. And we don't really have many here in Nashville. Mm -hmm. It's very sad. They love their baths. They love them so much that a common epitaph at the time was... Baths, wine, and sex corrupt our bodies, but baths, wine, and sex make life worth living. So, yeah, that was on um, Tiberius Claudius Secundus's tomb, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So there you have it. Baths are as good as wine and sex. I'm not sure I would have gone quite that far, but uh, I'm going to allow it. Like, you know, I'm going to allow it. It's a legit opinion. I support that. Okay, so... Obviously, Rome, we got that down. So one thing, just a quick aside, that you are never going to hear me do is refer to the Middle Ages as, quote, the Dark Ages. It's just a little pet peeve I inherited from my former professor, now friend Janine, who taught one of my first college courses ever called Misfits and the Marginalized in the Late Middle Ages. Best class title ever. Um, But anyway, I was always kind of a big nerd who loved anything medieval, but that class really opened my eyes to just how fascinating that time period is. Like, I feel like when we're taught about history, it's basically like Rome fell, and then for several hundred years, nothing happened, and then wham, it's the Renaissance. 
Um, not so. In fact, I'm going to make a note of it so we spend a whole episode on that subject too. Yeah, we should. But anyway, one of the biggest, most common misconceptions is that people didn't bathe in the Middle Ages. Um, like in Monty Python, they're like, how do you know he's a king? Hey, he hasn't got shit on him, you know, great. Uh, but that's not true. So first off, I mean, even though the Roman Empire fell, the vestiges of culture didn't just completely disappear. Like, it's not like Rome fell and then all the bathhouses disappeared, evaporated into thin air. And beyond that, medieval peoples um, of Western Europe, at least, um, and the majority of people, not everyone there, but they were super into Christianity (laughs) eventually. And the adage cleanliness is next to godliness doesn't exist for nothing. So Pope Gregory the Great, who ascended to the papacy in 590, strongly believed in the virtues of bathing as necessary, quote, on account of the needs of the body. Right. So, and even much later, um, we find accounts of the importance of good or at least decent hygiene. Because um, as we discussed in the Dancing Plague episode, although medicine wasn't what we might call advanced, people still acknowledged that like certain miasmas of foul air um, could cause illness, and good hygiene would negate some of this miasma. So even though they may not have bathed every single day in a private shower, as many of us do today, there were systems in place to ensure people could properly clean themselves. So, for example, um, a passage from a wonderful book called A Distant Mirror, the Calamitous 14th Century by Barbara Tuckman notes that in Paris, In each quarter there were public baths, providing either steam or hot water. A total of 26 were listed in the survey of 1292. Though considered dangerous to morality, especially of women, They were recognized as a contribution to cleanliness, which the city took pains to keep from closing during a bad winter when fuel was costly. At daybreak, the crier's voice was heard, Calling you to bathe, monsieur, and steam yourself without delay. Our water's hot, and that's no lie. So, I think I was expecting that to rhyme, but whatever. Um, okay, so 26 in the city of Paris, public baths, that's a lot. So the theory connecting miasma and health with cleanliness, but really found its footing um, in a much stronger way uh, a little bit later on, so in the Victorian era. So at the start of the 1860s, Louis Pasteur showed that decay was caused by living organisms present in the air. Uh, What he showed at this point was that rather than rot and decay just kind of spontaneously happening, they were caused by tiny little living creatures that could themselves be killed. And then Pasteur was pretty quickly followed by German physician Robert Koch, who proved that specific versions of these tiny creatures would cause specific diseases. So the bacteria that cause very specific illnesses like cholera or dysentery or whatever, they they figured that out. And this is all to say that what was always a hunch before in history became proven that being clean was good for you. So Ruth Goodman is a scholar whose work I absolutely adore. So she mainly focuses on the Victorian era, um, and she's written several fascinating books about this. But she's actually experimented with many, many different ways of living herself to prove out various theories and how people used to live. So in her book, How to Be a Victorian, she points out that... Many modern writers and historians like to revel in the opinion that people were dreadfully malodorous in the past, before modern washing with water took hold. My own experience makes me skeptical about their claims. The longest I have been without washing with water is four months, and nobody noticed. So a huge, huge component of keeping clean back in the day, so both in the Middle Ages and the Victorian era, 
was wearing extensive uh, amounts of underclothes. So cotton and then later linen undergarments were changed really frequently. So ideally every single day, if not several times a day, which would help absorb sweat and dirt. Um, in the Victorian era, though, there was a much more detailed daily, and yes, it was often daily routine. So previously, people didn't always have to use water to get themselves clean. Um, they would often just change the undergarments um, as frequently as they could, and they would also rub themselves with cloth in order to keep clean. Um, but eventually, a stand-up wash was introduced, and she describes the method of using that in her book. The stand-up wash is still a very efficient and effective technique if you happen to be staying somewhere with Spartan facilities. With a single jug of water, it is perfectly easy to wash and rinse the whole body. A little water is poured into the bowl, and the flannel is dipped in and then wrung out. Some soap is applied, and the scrubbing of the body can begin. When this first bowl of water begins to look murky, it is emptied into the slop pail and freshly filled from the jug. And so it goes on until you are clean all over. Rather like scrubbing a floor, body washing could be done in sections. This allowed a person to remain mostly dressed throughout the operation. So washing like this could get you really pretty clean. And it also prevented you from like catching a chill in cold weather or having to expose yourself if you were poor and lived in a crowded room. So this isn't to say that all people would have been as clean or smelled as pleasant as we do now. Uh, soap and hot water really didn't come cheap. So at one point in the Victorian era, a four-ounce bar of soap cost the same as, quote, a good joint of beef, and a family could go through easily three or four bars in a week. So according to Goodman, this would amount to about 5% of a weekly budget. So, like, imagine you make, say, for ease of math, $52,000 a year, which is about a grand a week. You'd be spending 50 bucks per week just on soap to get clean. So I Damn. guess I know. It comes down to your priorities, I suppose. So obviously, the richer you were, the cleaner and better smelling you probably were also. William Thackeray coined the term, quote, the great unwashed in 1850. And that probably reflected that if you managed to smell good most of the time, you're probably at least middle, if not upper class. So not only could you afford the goods to keep you clean, but you probably had a little bit of extra cash to spend on perfume and also didn't have to work laborious jobs that would increase dirt and smell. So I guess overall, what we're trying to say is that people probably didn't smell as great as we are used to back then, but they also probably smelled way better than you think that they did. And people have gone to very, very great lengths to keep themselves trim and clean as our sweet little lion cat <laughs> who smells like bubblegum right now. He does. He smells very good. So I think that's it. All right. Stay clean, y'all. Keep clean. You got to wash your ass if you must. You gotta brush your teeth if you must or else you'll be funky. <laughs>